LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey friends, welcome back to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast after a little bit of a break. Over the past few months, we did take some time off, but good news, we are back with a new season. So we are excited to continue on and we hope that this continues to be helpful to you and your leadership. So with that, let's get into the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Todd Atkins. I'm not doing it today. You're not? No. You don't have it in you? Don't have me in All right, fair enough. Well, today we are excited to have Jen Wilkin joining us. I'm excited about that. You are. Come on. You have to do it now. There it is. All right. That was for Jen. That was only for Jen. (laughs) And my my wife, who uh, genuinely is excited for this podcast recording. Most of the time, she doesn't care who it is or she thinks I'm like name dropping. But when I said I was recording with you, she was like, oh, yes. You must go in to the office, so it's great audio too. She like was like, you you have to go. There you go. Well, we are excited as well, Jen. Thanks for joining us, Jen. If you do not know her, which you should, um, she is the executive director um, of the of Family and Next Gen Ministries at the Village Church. But on top of that, she's also a speaker, author, and Bible teacher. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're doing so great now that you've joined us on the podcast, and we're excited for this conversation today. And as I mentioned, you are an author, you're a Bible teacher, you have a lot going on, even as we share your bio. So I just wanted to ask, you know, as Todd was sharing, I know many of us have read your resources, have used them, and they've been incredibly impactful. What are you currently working on that you're excited about? But also, how do you juggle that all of the writing with also being the executive director at the village of family and next gen ministries? Well, that's a really good question. It's one that my husband asks me regularly. Um, and the answer is I don't juggle it all very well. Something has to go by the wayside for Mm. the work that I'm doing in the local church, but I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, I, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, if I would be doing any of the things that I'm doing now, I would not have been able to say, yeah, that's going to happen for me. I didn't, um, think that being, in full-time vocational ministry was ever in the cards for me. Um, and then additionally, I never intended to be a writer or um, an author. I might've had some hope of getting my Bible studies into more hands, but um, I, uh, so I'm here by accident a little um, and by, I should not say by accident, I should say um, by um by virtue of having been in a place where things were possible that I couldn't have anticipated would be. Um, but I'm not currently working on like a new writing project because that does take a lot of brain space that I just don't have right now if I'm going to do my job at the church the way that I want to. So I'm still continuing to publish Bible studies, but the studies that I publish for the most part are ones that I had written years ago for, for use in my local church. And so um, I've just been putting them out one after another. So it may look like I'm more prolific than I am because I'm drawing on some things that are created um, before I was in the role that I'm in at the church. Hmm. So, so you're telling me you didn't plan 
all of this out and it went all according to plan to get to where you are today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a simple strategy. And that's, that's how it works. Leadership. The end. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no. So much of this is a happy accident for me. And, and honestly, the surprise of my middle age, I did not see any of it coming. And, um, but I really am, I feel a real sense of wanting to steward it because, um, yeah, it just feels like a rare opportunity. For sure. Well, one of the things that we have heard about here at Lifeway is that you are working with the Lifeway women's team yes. on a new uh, initiative, which is the Lifeway Women's Academy. Yes. And our listeners probably haven't heard about this much yet, but I actually, I was laughing on the way in. My wife got something in the mail about um, about the Academy today. And I was like, well, and your face was on there. I was like, well, we're actually talking with you today, so we might as well talk about it. So I'd love to sh- for you to share with us um, a little bit about the Lifeway Academy, what you're excited about it when it comes about. Yeah, we're really excited to launch it. We want to be able to provide um, the kinds of content that you might only get in a seminary setting in an online format that women can access. And so it's all of the kinds of things that I wish that I had had given to me when I was just trying to teach in a living room and and discharge that teaching responsibility with 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 soberness, you know, wanting to follow the admonition of James 3. And so it's everything from hermeneutics, how to study the Bible, to how to teach the Bible. Um, we're hoping to have courses on doctrine, um, just sort of the, the basic ideas that you would encounter if you were in a seminary setting. But for those of us who may not ever find ourselves in a seminary setting or who are weighing whether we would want to put ourselves in a seminary setting, sort of an on-ramp or a first step or a way to sort of test drive some of what is out there um, and to be better able to serve specifically in the local church. That's one of the big hopes of this initiative is for on the ground ministry um, so that women who are doing that good work are, are resourced mm-hmm. and have have um, have access to to ideas or to resources that they might not otherwise have. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and step out here and say something uh, controversial, maybe <laughs> hopefully not too controversial. But um, <laughs> in, in my experience, I. Um, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit before we started, you know, my wife was really excited for me to be, you know, talking to you today. And the interesting thing is, I mean, my wife went to seminary. Mm -hmm. Um, she, you know, should be able to, to, uh, rise to the uh, occasion, uh, to open God's word and expository in an expository manner. Mm -hmm. And she's written a few Bible studies here and there, but the thing is, that I've found that is very unique about her and others. And she's not a pushover. However, I feel like women many times have a higher competence than they do confidence. And so the thing that is, and and I don't want to make a, a blanket statement or put people in a box, but the thing that's most exciting to me about what, what it is you guys are doing um, is giving an opportunity, yes, to raise someone's competence, but also to raise their level of confidence. I mean, half of training, in my opinion, is it's it's confidence. Mm-hmm. It's not only competence, but it is that confidence piece. So, could you speak to um, to maybe that for for a few moments, uh, as far as what? How did you become, uh, I guess, confident in? Um, you know, putting this stuff together or, or being able, uh, you know, to do this, what would you say to women who um, have been in the church for years and years and may have something to say, but, but 
haven't quite stepped into that role yet of leading a Bible study. It's just intimidating for some to lead a Bible study. And I'm like, you're a godly, godly woman leader. Please, please feel free. Like we need you in the church. Yeah, I do think, though, um, it is hard for women to feel like they have permission. And either that is because of um, of a message that they may have picked up in their local church, that that's not that's not a space they need to enter into. Or it might just be that they've never even considered it in much the same way that I said, you know, 10 years ago, I would not have considered that I would be in the role that I'm in now. Um, When we think about those kinds of spaces, we just don't always see ourselves in them. And there are not the same um, experiences that often our male counterparts have of being invited into those spaces. Um, And so, you know, I even had a conversation um, with a pastor a couple days ago who was saying, I understand how to raise up teachers who are men in my church, but I have no idea how to do that for the women, which honestly, can I laugh a little at that? I'm like, what on earth are you doing when you're training the men? Are you like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's like, what are the things that are out of bounds to do to train a woman that you're, you know, so that's a little weird to me, honestly, because I don't, I do think um, that that we you train a teacher, teachers are just trained the same way. It's actually not gender specific, which then begs the question, why are we doing something that is positioned particularly toward a female audience? And it goes back to that idea. Uh, so many times women do need to be invited into that space. And I know how much it helped me to see another woman who was competent in that space to be able to say, oh, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Um, Which is not to say I thought it would be easy, but I knew it was possible. And so um, that's one of the reasons that I continue to be enthusiastic to do um, things like this, efforts like this that are geared specifically toward female audiences, because um, I want to I want to recoup that deficit and say, no, all of us are called to to teach and to train. Um, And so let's let's all be well equipped to do it. I don't want it to be as hard for the next generation of women as it was for me and others who were in my generation of this where you know we had to we had to find our way around. We had to be brave enough to knock on the door of the pastor and say can do you have commentaries you can point me to or uh, that sort of thing. Um we, I would love for it to be a little easier. Of course the next um difficult task um, potentially is for pastors in the local church to have eyes to see women who are equipped and are ready to step into spaces where they can um, do meaningful ministry in the local church to equip saints. Hmm. Well, Jen, thank you so much for just even that response, but also the way that you are putting this together. You're also a great voice on this and thank you that we can learn from you in that. Well, let's hop in here to our five leadership questions. I'm sure we could chase that rabbit and do a whole podcast around that. Yeah, and we would love to, but we are here for the five leadership questions podcast. And uh, we just want to hop in with this one. As you look back on, you know, your time in leadership and, and your ministry, what is a conflict or failure that has actually benefited you in leadership? 
Um, you know, I have for most of my time in ministry have been in a lay capacity. I was leading in, as a volunteer and leading therefore teams of volunteers. And when you're doing that, a lot of times it's your friends who end up on your leadership team because they're the ones who are most bought into your vision of what you're trying to do. And so that is both wonderful and terrible, depending on how things are going. Right. Uh, and yeah. so there were times where I, in in the interest of solving a problem in the short term, um, put someone into a leadership role on a team who was not going to be a good long-term solution, which can be fine as long as you have clearly articulated the length of time the person is going to be in that role. And so I really had to learn the hard way not to have um, obscure open-ended roles on my lead team in my entirely volunteer run, you know, version of um, women's Bible study that I did for many years in the community. And then also um, in, in various church settings. Um, I think sometimes we think that the only way we can get volunteers is to just kind of invite them into a pool of, um, of opportunities, but volunteers are people who have jobs elsewhere, you know, and they know mm. that clarity is kind. And so the more that we can give a clear, this is what I'm asking of you. And this is exactly how long I'm asking you to do it um, is something I had to learn the hard way because there were times where there was a personal relationship at stake uh, and I didn't have an off ramp that, that allowed us to maintain our friendship, even as the time and leadership needed to draw to a close for that person. So uh, definitely wish I had gotten that without learning it the hard way, but did not. So, so did you end up with like, um, volunteer role descriptions Absolutely. Um, and things like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for every position on the lead team, um, there is a description of exactly what is expected from you and the length of time that you would serve in the role before we would have a conversation about whether you're going to continue on in the role any longer. So we don't have like a firm quote term limit on how long someone might be on the team, but we definitely have a, a, a clear expectation that at this point we will revisit this conversation to ask if you're still at a stage of life or a place where you want to continue on in this. You know, one of the things I love about, uh, that is you, you said, you know, clarity is, is, is kind. Um, clarity is really important to existing leaders that you might have at your church too, that may have been dumped on mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing. If you don't provide clarity, um, a, a lot of times we end up dumping and, and from a development standpoint, Having that time set each year that's like, hey, we're going to check in um, is a perfect opportunity for development mm -hmm. um, as well as that opportunity to say, hey, you know, here's here's potentially a new role for you right. or um, it may be time for you to to move to a different role in the church. I, I really love that you're that you're already doing that. One question I want to or one highlight that you said was I think a lot of people, Jen, who have read, you know, your Bible st studies or your books would go, Oh, wait, you just said you were in a, like a lay ministry person for that long. You weren't on staff at your church. Yeah. And I think that would surprise some people because of the, the, the ministry that you've had. And you just recently stepped into the role that you are in now. And I believe that's full-time now. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what differences do you, because I always think it's interesting to, you, you said our volunteers have full-time jobs. They, 
it's 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 in the margins of their time. And I think it's easy for church leaders to just be like, well, why aren't they giving more? And it's like, well, you need to know who your volunteers are. You need to really understand what's on their plate. So maybe just speak into the difference of kind of leading in a lay role versus a staff role full-time. What are the differences that you've seen as you stepped into that that full-time role? Well, my experience with it has been that actually people who are in full-time vocational ministry are overly hesitant to ask volunteers to commit to something that requires a, a fairly significant commitment. They tend to get into the mentality of, well, I'm the one who's paid to do this. So mm. I should only give... Um, responsibilities to a volunteer that are not mission critical because it's kind of riding on me at the end of the day. And that's actually the reverse of the way that I think we should be thinking about it. Um, a good leader is, is always looking for how to give people um, real buy-in into what is happening in a ministry. And if you're paying attention to what your volunteers are committing big chunks of their time to, what they are uh, opting into, it's actually not things that ask little of them. It's things that ask a great deal of them. So we're hesitant to ask someone to step into a key volunteer role at the church. And yet we know that that person is uh, doing CrossFit, or we know that that person is a marathon runner. Like people have all kinds of commitment and dedication to things that they are are motivated around. And so I think often where we've missed it uh, when we're in vocational ministry is we don't we don't recognize um, how significant it is for us to be the one saying this is the vision. And it's so compelling that you should want to give your discretionary time to this over something else. Um, and if it's not you, that's fine. I'll find the person who it is. But those people are out there. I was those people. You know, I. I wanted to give significant time. So I know they exist and, you know, maybe they are crazy. Maybe that's me, you know, maybe I, I, I was uh, imbalanced and, and cuckoo, but um, it was deeply satisfying to me to serve in my local church. I would have done it for free forever, you know, and, and I think we need to recognize that those people are out there because I think we lose sight of that the moment we start to get a paycheck for full-time work. That's really good. I've, I've heard some people say so, normally the, greatest leaders for volunteers are actually the, the ones with the busiest schedules. Yeah. And, and it's, it is those with the fullest plates are normally those who have the capacity to serve in that way. But it's, I, I love what you said. It's almost showing them the more compelling vision of, Hey, what if you gave your time here? So that's, that's really helpful. Well, because so many churches, so, so many people, so many staff people, as Jim pointed out, instead of casting a compelling vision, they try to fill a spot right. and it's, it, they, they, they get it to a place where they think is somewhat manageable. And then they say, well, anybody can do this mm -hmm. or, um, they say no for people as they're recruiting them. Right. Um, uh, you know, and, and it's just, it's a really, it's not compelling. <laughs> it's not compelling at all. Yeah. Anybody can do this. Do you want to do it? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> we know that the calling of a pastor demands community. Without it, they risk falling behind, they may even struggle with staying engaged and encouraged, and can even burn out. Youth Ministry Booster is a membership-based community of over 400 caring and growing youth pastors around the country who are supported by peers, aligned to ministry vision, and focused on becoming more organized and more emotionally healthy. Youth Ministry Booster matches youth pastors into year-long mastermind cohorts 
based on church size and location, and they walk through 12 months of leadership development together, which equips them with practical resources to thrive in their role. So this year, support the calling and longevity of your youth pastor. Registration for Youth Ministry Booster closes September 1st. Visit youthministrybooster.com to learn more. Once again, that's youthministrybooster.com to learn more. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, Jen, so who or what has been the greatest leadership influence on your life? Tell us a story. Um, I honestly would say, I mean, there are people in ministry who have had a big influence on me, but my dad was always a big example to me of, of healthy leadership just in his, and he was not in ministry. He just had a, a lengthy career in human resources and he was, uh, he is still such an astute student of human nature. Uh, and always listening for the question behind a question when someone would raise their hand and um, always wanting the why behind the what. And so I think um, moving into leadership spaces myself, I think, first of all, watching him do it, you know, it was my experience of thinking, well, if my dad does this, I can I can do this, too. Um, and then um yeah, and honestly, my mother's a teacher, so you can see in a lot of ways how I ended up being this, this blend of the two of them. Um, but I think he just so naturally gravitated toward being the one in charge because um, people knew they could trust him to listen. Um, I think I could be better at that, frankly. I don't know that I'm as empathetic as he is, but I'm, I'm trying to be for the sake of being a healthy leader. Um, and also just a healthy human being. I should add that in there as well. <laughs> But yeah, he was always, um, you know, active in the community. He didn't just lead at work. He was on the school board or he was, you know, um, working uh, on volunteer committees and um, and seeing how that had such a positive impact uh, on our on our town and that everyone spoke well of him because he was a person of integrity who worked hard. Um, that that inspired me to want to be someone like that, too. Mm. I love that. I love the answer of you saw it modeled and it's just funny. Even as you said, it's like the, the merging of both of their personalities. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, as you, as you look towards at your leadership, what do you hope your leadership legacy to be when somebody hears about Jen Wilkin and your leadership, what do you want them to remember? Um, I want to have replicated myself. You know, I, I, when I, was coming into church leadership or when I was starting to lead, you know, like in women's ministry spaces in the late nineties and um, early two thousands, there were, you know, two or three names that you thought of who were visible female leaders in, in the spaces that I was in. And even today, I would say there are a limited number of women's names that come to mind when you think about someone who can um, handle the scriptures and also, you know, lead in the local church in some capacity. And I think these women are actually all over the place. I just think that we don't necessarily hear about them or celebrate them the way that we could. But so for me personally, what would grieve me is if I were seen as a unicorn, uh, because I don't think I am. I may be in terms of like visibility, but not in terms of capability. And so often when I will meet with, um, with pastors, they will say, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing, but we don't have a Jen Wilkin at our church. 
And I always want to say, how do you know that? <laughs> like, do you know that? Because in my experience, <clears throat> often pastors have limited contact with and knowledge of the, the women who are leading in their churches. So um, I'm always hoping that what I can do is have the women who I've drawn along behind me um, be well positioned to serve the church for a long time so that no one looks back on the time that I was in um, visible ministry and says, well, she was an anomaly. Like, I believe that what I'm doing is replicatable and important. So, you know, Jen, uh, I've heard you kind of share about this before and I'd love, you know, a lot of our audiences, pastors and church leaders, um, and good bit men. Mm -hmm. So for the man that would say, I don't have a Jen Wilkin at my church. If they're, let's say they're praying for one, they're hopeful that they're, they can raise up women mm-hmm. to be able to handle, handle the scriptures well, to teach and disciple other women. What, what steps would you give them to say, here's how to keep an eye out to develop um, a w- woman like that in, in your church? Mm-hmm. Well, what typically happens is a woman who's going to risk exhibiting a leadership gift in the local church will probably first do so in an all female space. Um, and so that's probably the, the, the first place that she's going to start to be identified as a key leader. It may not be that it may be somewhere else, but that's been my experience uh, or maybe in children's ministry, just places where women do feel like there has been more of an invitation for them to, to, uh, to take on a leadership role. And so a pastor who's interested in finding and cultivating that is going to be in close contact with whoever the woman or the key leader is in that area who might know who those names are. And then he's going to have to envision what it looks like to have a trajectory, a leadership trajectory for that woman in the same way that he would for a man. And to do the hard work of asking, what do I really think is not possible to do with her that is possible to do with a man who is exhibiting the same kind of, you know, commitment to being a leader in the local church. I think a lot of the hesitation around this has to do with things like not wanting to give any uh, appearance of impropriety, but there are certainly ways that we can mitigate that very simple. Most of them I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't, I think a lot of that is not that hard to solve. Um, no one is going to question if you're having regular meetings at the church with, you can have it be more than one, you know, identify more than one woman and then have a group of men and women that you're developing together in leadership. Um, and I think we also, the second fear is that, well, gosh, if we have men and women being developed as leaders, then aren't the women going to think that they can just do whatever they want in a leadership structure? I just, I'm kind of tired of that being put out there. Um, the idea that women are convictionally in theologically conservative spaces, um, wanting to serve in, in ways that are life giving to the church. And they're not there with some secret agenda of wanting to stage a takeover of the whole church and turn everything pink. Um, the women who are looking to, um, fill a pulpit on Sunday in conservative theological environments, uh, they've left, they're gone. (laughs) <laughs> they're not you you can be I, I can be a pastor if I want to be I can I just go to the Methodist church across the street you know no one is keeping me from doing that I'm here because I am I'm bought in um, from a theological standpoint and I love my local church I think that's the other thing that that people often don't 
or that I would say pastors don't often factor into this conversation is that whereas um, uh, you might have um, a, a male staff member who has a lot of options on where he might go to serve that female staff members don't always view themselves that way. Um, they, they appreciate the familiarity of a known landscape and they're often less likely to move to another church in search of an additional leadership opportunity, which means that you can assume that they're at your church for good reasons and they're invested for the long term. And so you can sort of diffuse some of the concern around what do they really want? Often what they really want is to be able to actually dig in and serve at the church that was in their neighborhood that they joined because there was good preaching and there were good opportunities to have good programming. And so um, I, I just, I, I do like to try to at least diminish some of the uh, undercurrents of, um, of gosh, how do we make this work? And just say, I don't, I don't think that's, it's, it's not that hard to figure out. So I want to ask a question about um, intentionality, because in in many cases, I think uh, a lot of pastors will say, hey, you know, I want to pray for this and I'm going to, you know, kind of look for it. Uh, I don't know. But it sounds like there's a step between what is, quote unquote, organically, you know, there or informal Mm -hmm. and then, you know, kind of formalizing or giving kind of some intentionality to it. For someone who's looking to do that, what would you say um, is a good, uh, uh, maybe a a couple of steps that they could do to practically create a pathway for this in their church? Well, um, again, I would look at the pathways that you already have for men and ask, do these need to be men only? So, you know, for example, at our church, we put together a teaching cohort where uh, it was men and women so that everyone could develop this gift and, um, and they, they were evaluated based on their ability to study a text and then teach it to a room full of us. Um, that doesn't have to be men only. Um, then in terms of just like leadership gifting, you know, the, the kinds of principles that you want leaders to understand are valuable whether you're a male or a female. And so the more that you're looking to have rooms, again, I don't think that you should have like a, here's our women's leadership track, because you do have to do some honest work about how much of this really is gender specific. Uh, We have some uh, expectations around which roles in the church might be gender specific, but um, the the tools that go into your tool belt for ministry service are, are in many cases, not ministry specific at all. Like if I had a nickel for how many articles I've seen written to help pastors with leadership concerns that have no um, purely pastoral role um, specificity to them, I'd have a lot of nickels, guys, you know, and so it's <laughs> to target things at pastors. I target things to a female audience. I understand why we do that. But I think sometimes we can slip into thinking that there's some, you know, secret sauce to, to being the pastor in leadership that doesn't transfer down to the rest of the organization. And in, in many cases, it's all transferable if we have eyes to see it. So good. Okay. I I think um, that really transitions well into this kind of question because our next question is about habits or practices and what, what habits or practices do you focus on so that you can continue to learn that you can continue to develop as a leader? It's one thing to like set these things up for somebody else, but oftentimes, as you said, it's, it's, it's being modeled for you. Um, So how do you do that? How do you, create habits and practices that um, help you 
to continue to learn as a leader? Well, one of the things I've been a huge advocate for just because they've been so beneficial to me is to have um, anonymous feedback loops for what I'm doing in, in ministry. And, um, I've met with various reactions to the suggestion that you implement anonymous feedback loops. I've heard people say, well, we really value authenticity. So we just, we're not going to do anything anonymous. Um, Mm. And I'm like, well, sometimes authenticity shines in an anonymous moment. If you're not aware that there's some dynamic going on, that's keeping people from speaking up. Right. Um, Because saying that assumes that everyone feels comfortable giving their honest opinion of, uh, of, say, an environment that they participated in. And that's just not always the case. I think a lot of times in churches, we are heavy on the superlatives uh, that that lean to the positive side. And um, we feel that critique will be seen as having a, you know, a, di- a divisive spirit or, you know, something like that. Or we don't believe that our feedback would actually impact the setting if we gave it. And so we, um, we are committed to anonymous feedback loops where um, we we set a clear expectation up front of what we are going to do for those who are in a particular environment. Um, we set an expectation for what they can expect from leaders and what they can expect as a, as a participant. And then on the back end of it, we ask them, did we do what we said we would do? Did this do what you expected it to? Um, how, you know, what, what feedback would you give us? Um, And, you know, that's hard to sometimes it's hard to read um, what people have to say, uh, but you get better at reading that kind of feedback, you know, to sort of ignore the outliers and look for the patterns that are in the middle. But that has been a practice that um, I've done for years and it still continues to be a huge help to make sure that we're staying on course and and keeping an environment healthy. Uh, And I think additionally, Um, Another practice that has been very important to me as a woman in leadership is to make sure that in my leadership spaces, there is a lot of structure and that hierarchy is not set aside. Um, Often in churches, there there are tribal cultures where the depth of relationship is what determines um, who receives more budget dollars or who receives the best calendar spaces. And so as a female in leadership spaces, that's something that I'm sensitive to because uh, I'm not probably going to have the depth of relationship with my male counterparts that they're going to have with one another. And so therefore, the more that it's just sort of a, yeah, 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 let's just make that happen. And there wasn't a a process that was observed. um, Sometimes the less likely it is that 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 my concerns for my ministry area might be considered in those conversations. So um, committed to making sure that processes are followed and that um, the org chart doesn't get tossed out the window in any any conversation just because I've known you for a long time and I really, really trust you. So um, those are some practices that I've tried to keep um, specifically in, in my area, the ministry front and center. Although I would say that our church as a whole is, is healthy on those measures. Hmm. You know, I, I know you said it earlier, clear as kind. It, it just keeps coming back to me because even in the anonymous feedback, you're like, we tell you what's going to happen. It happens. And then we follow up on it. Yeah. So they know that that feedback's coming and they're, it's going to be requested from them even at the beginning. So that is Something I'm going to take away from this for sure. Clear as kind. Well, last question for you, Jen, and it's kind of a big one. So what is the best piece of a leadership advice that you have ever been given? If you could boil it all down, what's the best piece of advice? Um, 
I have a quote. Can I read you my quote? Absolutely. This is Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He's a French author. He wrote The Little Prince, if you're familiar with that book. Yes. He says this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I, uh, I think that probably defines the way I feel about leadership. Um, we should, we should compel people, right. And we should compel them, not just with um, beautiful words about the sea, but with our evident um, commitment to, to take them there. And so um, I, I think about that quote a lot because I think a lot of times we just get it so backwards, right. And we're so task driven that we're like, Hey, here's the stuff we need to get done. And again, people are compelled by a beautiful vision. That's, the gospel is a beautiful vision that compels us, you know, to, to take the most general application of it and perhaps the most obvious application of it. But when it comes to Bible literacy, the beautiful vision is what if you knew, you know, what if you knew the God of the Bible? What if that was something that was accessible to you? Don't you want that? Don't you know, you know how bad it is when you're in, you know, the dark night of the soul and you can't even remember what you know to be true about God, you know, or, or, or even if it's something like um, with children's ministry, you know, one of my areas of responsibility right now, you know what we believe? We believe that children are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. Do you believe that? Yes. Then let's do that. Let's make everything we do acknowledge that children are not an afterthought or a problem to solve, that they are people to serve. And so um, when we give that to those who are already sitting on the edge of their seat, wanting to be invited into something bigger than themselves, but it's a genuine invitation into something that has eternal significance. I think that's where leadership really starts to gain the traction that it should in the church. Well, Jen, I think you just gave everybody listening either a sermon quote or a quote for their staff meeting. So you guys go ahead and thank Jen for that. It's just such a great reminder to, to close out the podcast. And Jen, we just thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. And thank you for all the resources that you continue to share with churches and ministry leaders and everyone in the church. So just thank you for what you do. And thank you for sharing your time with us. And for you listening, thanks for joining us today. And we hope to see you next week. See ya.